seven unbeaten, five wins in seven games and up to third place. Things are going along very nicely for Norwich City at the moment as we head into an international break. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. I'm Dave Freeze. You can also hear us on Future Radio 107.8 FM. And as ever, joined by Paddy Davitt and Connor Southwell. Fortunately, we've got uh, some plenty of positives to look back on uh, again, although this was um, perhaps a much more hard-fought game than, than some in recent weeks. At Swansea, I would say, one of the best teams we've certainly seen, if not the best team we've seen so far this season. So, Pat, if I could come to you first. Um, obviously, Tim Krull getting a, a lot of love after this for sort of the timing of his saves, maybe then the sort of style of them. But... Yeah, how would you agree with what I just said about Swansea? Do you think they were the best team they faced so far? Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly Brentford for spells um, in the one-one draw recently. I thought they they were better than Norwich, um, but Swansea were a lot better than Norwich in that for uh, most of that second half. And uh, we certainly haven't seen that. I mean, the stats bear it out. I think the shots on goal, which Norwich have overwhelmingly been dominated in recent games. I don't think there was a lot between the two sides yesterday, so that tells you. They got plenty of sight as a Tim Krul's goal. Yeah, there was. A, yeah, it's a bit of a strange one because Tim Krul has done what he needed to do. But I don't, I don't think they were, they were. You wouldn't put them in the top top drawer of saves. But he, what they were was very good. Um, experience keeping stood up big. Um, but you'd also have to look on Jamal Lowe, Swansea's striker, who more or less was the one who had most of those attempts, and, and the finishing wasn't good enough. Uh, very lacking in. Um, composure or, or even belief when he went through on goal two or three times. So, but ultimately, Tim Krul's done what he had to do. Um, but Swansea, yeah, without a shadow of that, in terms of sustained pressure on the Norwich goal, we're not seeing that this season. And uh, they will feel very hard done by. Uh, I mean, in the midst of that, there was the penalty shout as well, which I'm sure we'll get into. They were adamant. Steve Cooper, the Swansea manager, said the players were adamant that should have been a penalty, wasn't given. Um, they've had three or four really good attempts. Andre Ayew, the danger man, hit the post in the first half. Yeah, I think most independent observers would have to admit Norwich probably didn't deserve to win the game. But do we care about that from a Norwich perspective? Absolutely not. Um, and it shows again, you know, there's a lot of positive things happening with that group of Norwich players. And yet there's still, I don't think anybody would still say they're in fully top gear operationally going forward, certainly in the final third. More, there is more to come. And if there's more to come from a team of seven unbeaten and one point off the top, happy days. Absolutely. I mean, 57% of possession for Norwich, a combined total of 40 shots on goal, 21 for Norwich and 19 for Swansea, five on target each. I, I thought this was a really entertaining game between two good teams. And uh, doing the updates at Pingham.com, um, somebody came in and said that Paul Merton on five quarters said he'd rather be having dental surgery than watching this game. So, I, I that, that just leaves me flabbergasted. I don't know what game he, he was watching. You know, you get some terrible nil-nil draws, but this was not one of them. Would you, would you agree, Connor? I thought it was a really good advert for championship football, to be honest. Um, I, I think even if it would have been nil-nil, I think we'd have all walked away thinking it was a very entertaining game. So I'm not really sure where, where Paul Merson's coming from with that. But um, yeah, two, two really good sides, I think, will probably be in and around the, the top six debate this season, to be honest, in, in the Championship, Swansea look, look very solid. Andre Ayew in particular is a player clearly on, on the evidence of yesterday, far too good for this level. Um, and, and yeah, had it not have been for, as, as Paddy said, some poor finishing and, and some good shot stopping by by Tim Krul, then then this result could have been different. But I think that that's kind of a testament to where Norwich is or are at the moment, because 
they kind of grinded out these results, particularly at home. Um, they're, they're winning games by a goal. They kept another clean sheet. It's a positive. And was it eight, eight points from from four games now? So that's two points sort of a game. That's that's the average that you need to be at the top end of the division. So um, everything at the moment is really positive and, and look to be unbeaten in, in this block of games from the last international break to the next one. I think Daniel Farker and, and supporters will be feeling a lot more positive about where they are at the moment. And they've played some really tough sides in that as well. So it's a credit to them. And it, uh, I think it shows slowly how they're beginning to turn the ship a little bit in terms of mentality and, and growing in confidence. And we are starting to see maybe again a bit more in spells as, as, as Paddy said rather than across the, the 90 minutes consistently but we're starting to see their quality come out a bit more consistently now which is um, which is good to see everything's heading in the right direction and, and, and as you say a point off top place so um, there's there's not too much to be unhappy about from a, from a Norwich City perspective at the moment but a really good game a really good contest and the fact that they've come out with it with, with three points um, I think shows where they are at the moment for me. Okay, well, we'll bring you uh, some clips of Daniel Farker and Tim Krull from after the game a little bit later in the pod. But just at the top of the show, just want a quick plug for this year's official Norwich City sticker book, which the book is out there now. It's been available for a couple of weeks. It can be ordered at pinkandshop.co.uk if you can't get it at your local shop here in, in Norfolk or Suffolk. Uh, the stickers are released as of Monday, November the 16th, so they will be widely available and uh, we hope you enjoy that very much. Right, so Pad, the changes, Daniel Farker forced into two to his starting lineup. Ben Gibson and Lucas Rupp both drop out, goes with Kenny McLean and, and Christoph Zimmerman. And on the whole, I think I think they both did pretty well. And that sort of emphasises really, doesn't it, that he's been able to turn to, but for all the gnashing of teeth that there is about Norwich's lack of cover and things like that, particularly defensively, he's been able to turn to two championship title winners to bring into his team. Yeah, good shout. Uh, it does underline it. And... Um... And both of them did did a more than decent job. Yeah, of course, you know, Gibson and Rupp were, were potentially going to be big misses. Um, and in the broader picture, you know, the reality is what we experienced yesterday with one or two players, Campbell also, you could throw into there, Quintier if you want as well. There's so many, so many demands on these players. And Daniel talked at length about that on Friday. We don't need to go back down that path. But you aren't, you're not going to get your 11 and they're going to play week in, week out, Saturday, Tuesday. So, what we experienced yesterday uh, is going to be pretty much the norm from from here on in. And, you know, Daniel did say that those players had been on the training pitch on Friday, but it just wasn't worth the risk. And part of that is because they don't want to lose them for a longer period of time. But also part of that is he has full faith in a Zimmerman or a Kenny McLean to come in and do a, do a job. I mean, I thought Zimmerman, there was a there was a, one or two of those Jamal Lowe chances where he, uh, he he was a bit sluggish in terms of the movement of Lowe. Um, but that's understandable because he hasn't played a lot of football now. Um, and you can see contrast that with the guy alongside him, Grant Hanley. Now is back in his Rolls Royce phase because he's playing regularly. He, he's fully got those injuries behind him, and we're getting back to the levels of where he was for me in the Premier League before he got injured again, when he was Norwich's most consistent cent- central defender slash defender, um, very dominant again. I thought, and you can't expect Zimmerman to be in the same mode because he really hasn't had the games. Um, but he was more than decent and he had a big part to play in the, the move that led eventually to Marco Stiefelman's winner. So uh, don't underestimate that. And then McLean, yep. Yeah, um, 
probably not to the levels where Lucas Rupp has been in terms of dominating games, but where I thought he came into his own was towards the end in the final quarter, you know, when it got very stretched. Um, you know, he, he did a very good screening job. There was one Andre Ayew move and he was literally lining up McLean and if he'd have beaten him, he's into the box and McLean stopped him uh, with a, had to be a perfectly timed tackle and, and that's what he will bring, you know. That there's things that maybe in his game that you would question progressively, but certainly in that type of game, I thought he was a, he was an excellent foil for Skip, who I thought was good again. He really seems to me to be accepting the responsibility of in that crucial role, getting Norwich ticking and getting them moving, and and uh, you know the tempo they need to play at has been immeasurably better in the last two or three games, probably since the Bristol game, where they've obviously took a surge of confidence from that, but. Yeah, very pleasing, and it does it absolutely does. And we've we've not even got into uh, talking about resources. Two teenagers who came on, and certainly one of them particularly probably decided the game. So, uh, what a great position to be in for Daniel Farker that he has, and he's not even had to go to Adamida. Jordan Hugel yesterday, Mario Vrancic, who's won two games on his own. Daniel said after the game yesterday, not even had to get uh, get his training top off. What an embarrassment of riches that man has at this level, and for all the gnashing of teeth about the players who've gone in the summer, there's still more than enough, and the first 11 games will tell you that, more than enough to be competing at the right end of the table. Yeah, let's take inspiration from Daniel Farker and keep Barley Mumba up our sleeves for uh, just for the minute, for the pod. Um, but Kenny McLean, um, I did him for our player watch this weekend, so picking.com's a place to go for that. And yeah, I thought I thought on the whole, in that, in that kind of a game, he did well, um, a pretty solid 7 out of 10, some good, some bad. But I think he... You know, really buzzed around, sort of was more of the box to box element, which is what Rupp is alongside the more dis- disciplined Skip, who, who tends to sort of sit that bit more, doesn't he? And um, I, I think it more it emphasised just how good Rupp's been in, in recent weeks. I think, it, you know, how much of an influence he's been able to have when he gets into that final third. So, um, and Connor, I know you were tweeting some some stats um, when you yesterday about how, um, how influential he's been. But um, to sort of go through it chronologically a little bit, Poeta had a had a massive chance in the fifth minute, didn't he? And pretty wasteful, almost. Probably should have been beating the defender who made the block. Yeah, I, I think so. It kind of fell for him nicely, didn't it? It was a, a Max Aaron's cross after some brilliant work, and it's fallen really nicely for him in, in the penalty area. And um, it's just gone to place it. And, and I think um, it, it's good defending in the end from from Connor Roberts. But you've you've got a back uh, Poeta, I think, to, to at least hit the target and make the goalkeeper work. He didn't. And I think that, that kind of um, set the tempo a little bit because Norwich from there really really did try and sort of um, had, had a go in terms of trying to get the ball to the final third, but were often met with with a Swansea side that were pretty solid defensively. And I actually felt the, the change that Swansea made in the second half probably um, made them a little bit tighter in central areas defensively, but also opened the game up in wide areas and um, that's why, but again, well, when we come to Bally Mumble, why I think he was so influential. But um, I, I think Norwich did struggle to, to again, break down that, that sort of three at the back formation they, they used in the first half. Um, but really good defending. But yeah, for me, Poeta has to do a little bit better. And I think it, it was a, a difficult afternoon again for him generally. And I think we, we're probably seeing maybe the, the relentlessness of this division catch up with him a little bit because I felt he, he was pretty good at Bristol City. There were flashes against Millwall. Um, and, and this game, I didn't really felt he, he ever really got into. And um, there were a few sort of 
poor touches and still looks very raw. And it's about that consistency. He's still a very young man. Um, the sort of the step up is a major one from from Polish football, the physicality and and, and whatnot. Um, I don't think Norwich ever really got him into the game in the way they probably would have liked. But again, that's probably testament to the way Swansea defended rather than rather than him um, in particular. There wasn't really the space for him to go and stretch the game in the same way there was against Bristol City. But uh, a major chance, and if he, if he wants to um, cement his place on that left side, and I still think that sort of left side is is up for grabs a little bit. You've obviously got Campwell. Hernandez when he comes back and and Puerta as, as potentially the options. Neither of those three have really grabbed it yet. And and if one of them can put together a consistent run of form, um, it, whether that's Campbell and Hernandez when, when they return or, or Puerta, and Puerta's obviously got a, a massive chance at the moment with, with both of them injured, then um, really it's 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 their place to lose from there. So um, he'll, he'll be disappointed he, he didn't put that away, I think, on reflection. Um, but equally, probably just exposes his, his inexperience for me. Um, Luckily, it didn't prove too costly for Norwich in the end. Yeah, I just feel like he really needs to build his confidence and, you know, hopefully he can go away with the Poland under-21s now and maybe get a goal. Avoiding injury is obviously the most important thing with all the Norwich lads who are who are going away during this busy international break. Then hopefully there's plenty more to come from him. And, and I said this in my video verdict as well, how many players have we seen Norwich bring in from overseas who do take six months or a year to get going, you know, Vrancic, Hernandez, Leiter, Stephen, there's, there's a long list of them, isn't there? So um, I think most Norwich fans will know just to be patient because you can sort of see the, the raw ingredients there. Um, Max Aaron put one just wide in the six minute, lovely bit of control after a Wendy, a corner. And then the, the big bit of luck and, and Pad Krull did admit it was a, a bit of luck really is, is when Ayu hit the post with, with that header. And I, and I think you pointed out to me in real time, what, what is Wendy doing marking him? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and behind him, Ollie Skip for the first two corners. Anyway, I couldn't watch thereafter. He was he seemed to be picking up Ryan Bennett. Which if if ever there's a mismatch there, really, I don't know what's going on. I mean, that's obviously the, the the whole zonal thing because what you have there is Norwich's supposedly better headers of the ball are all lined up on the basically the width of the six yard box, um, presumably ready to attack. But I, I just don't. For me. What a team's doing. Swansea did it yesterday. You know, they get their better headers of the ball, like the centre backs, uh, like are you, uh, in a pod on the on the penalty spot, and then they're bursting away from Emmy Buendia is not going to be tracking on dry, are you? So excellent piece of movement. Um and it was a huge slice of fortune, but you know, Norwich have been the best side for the first twenty minutes. So, you know, you, you maybe earn a little bit of that. But um but thereafter, I felt that was that was almost a signal. Then I thought, then from then to half time, far more even. Norwich certainly didn't have their own way. And then, really, after half time, they made a positional switch, brought Ayu more out to the left hand side, possibly to target uh, Jakob Sorensen. And, and really, then there was only one team in it for me, uh, albeit Norwich had flurries of counters and one or two chances. But as Steve Cooper said, how many saves did Freddie Woodman have to make compared to Tim Crawl? Well, we all know. Um, I don't think he had to make any saves, really, of note. Um, so that tells you where the dynamic of this game shifted after, for me, that that incident with, with IU and that header against the post, yeah. Yeah, Krull actually, uh, well, he was asked about it afterwards, that they haven't conceded from a corner yet this season. And he, he sort of... Uh, tapped his head to say, you know, knock on wood that we haven't so far. The only the only set piece they conceded is that Wayne Rooney free kick, I think, isn't it, um, in, in the Derby game. So that is clearly a, a big improvement on 
um, certainly last season and, and even the title winning season, it, it was an issue, wasn't it? So, um, but Grant Hanley, as you said, or described as sort of his Rolls Royce best, he made a couple of massive blocks, 23rd minute uh, from Smith and, and, and Ayu. Uh, the cruel save just before the break from Jamal Lowe around his post that in real time, I, I thought that was a reasonably routine one, but looking at the angle of it, of the uh, on the highlights from behind the goal, I think that was a, a better save than than I'd sort of given it credit for. Um, but then, I, I mean, I, I actually thought, Connor, that although both teams played well, this game really came down to that, that both teams defended really well. Like I said, that handling block there, Connor Roberts made a few from from Pucky in the second half and stuff, didn't he? That, that this was just some really good defending on display. It was, yeah. I think Swansea was was probably more structurally and Norwich probably more individually at times. But yeah, I, I'd, I'd agree. I think um, the fact that that this was, as, as I said, if it had ended nil nil, would have been walking away. Yeah, that was a really good game of football, um, but two really good, solid defensive sides. And that's, uh, you know, it seems strange to be talking about that as a um, as someone who's obviously covered Norwich City last season and, and sort of saw their their um, well. Their, how fragile they were in, in that area of the pitch in particular. And you mentioned the set pieces. I think um, despite the, the mismatches that, that Paddy have described, they've they've dealt with them pretty comfortably so far this season. And um, yeah, I, th- I think we, we are now seeing Grant Hanley in particular begin to flourish again, which is good to see. And hopefully this doesn't sort of get ended by an injury. It's kind of his routine as a, a Norwich City player where he goes for a good spell of form and then gets a bad injury and then we don't see him for a few months so um, hopefully he can keep this consistently over the season because without doubt he is one of the the, the best defenders in, in this division when, when he is playing the way he is at, at current Ben Gibson on, on the evidence of what we've seen so far as well and, and Christoph Zimmerman's obviously won a title um, in, in this league as well so they've got some really good op- options individually I think Ollie Skip and and, and Kenny McLean were, were really good screeners yesterday. And, and I think it, it's been interesting to see maybe not how they've replaced Alex Setti, but maybe how they've gone for two players to absorb his responsibilities rather than just solely relying on him. And maybe that's the way they're shifting in terms of long-term and trying to replace him as opposed for a, a like-for-like replacement, which has obviously proved very difficult in, in years gone by. Um, and, it, and it does seem to be a bit more of a solid base that they're working off now. And, um, and that obviously allows the, the creative players a bit more license. It allows Buendia to sort of roam inward if, if he wants to drop a little bit deeper. And there were spells in the first half where I felt there was a bit of a disconnect between almost the defensive block and the attacking block. And that's usually filled by Lucas Rook. But in the second half, I thought Kenny McLean did a, did a better job. And even when Bali Mumba came on, Kenny McLean was almost dropped into that left back position and gave him the license to push on 1v1 against Connor Roberts. So um, it it is better structurally. I think it helps that they're probably not being punished in the same way they were in the Premier League. Um, but it's definitely a step in the right direction in terms of that solid defensive base that I think most people have realised they're going to need if they are going to get back in, into the Premier League and also stay there because most teams that get promoted and, and do well are, are ones with a decent defensive base. Even Marcelo Bielsa's leads last year for all the talk of the wonderful football they played, um, they had a really, really solid base and... Um, and, and yeah, I, th- I think the fact that they're still in a in a zone where they've conceded less goals and they've played games is a real positive um, in, in the opening 11 games that perhaps people didn't expect given their sort of defensive record before that. So that's a, a testament to Daniel Farker and, and the coaches and the work they've done with this squad. 
totally agree. If they're going to go up, they've got to go up with a more solid base. Otherwise, as as it was shown, you're just sort of lambs to the slaughter in some games in, in the Premier League, aren't you? Right, let's play our trump card pad. Here he comes. Barley Mumba is on loan in non-league in what February, March, before the season got... Uh, postponed or cancelled at that level. I think it was Northern Premier Division. He was playing for South Shields, wasn't it? And, you know, sort of on the fringes at, at Sunderland and they'd started converting him to a wide player there. And, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you, like most of us, thought that was a pretty brave decision from Daniel Farker to be bringing him and, and Josh Martin on in, in the 68th minute against a team as good as Swansea. Well, and also then ask, essentially, although it didn't kind of pan out like that, but ask them to basically, well, in Barley Mumba's case, nullify Swansea's absolutely ticky talisman in Andre Ayew. I mean, that was, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot. It's certainly when the results go the other way. There, there's people, there's, there's a lot of people, media, fans on social media, very quick to point out Flarker's flaws when it comes to substitutions. So, you know, if we're going to apply some balance to the situation, what a call that was. And uh, the next time he is getting maybe lambasted for too late changes or not the right changes, um, it doesn't always work. But as he said yesterday, it certainly paid off. Uh, Fortune favours the brave was his phrase. And uh, that was brave because, um, you know, the combined minutes of those two at senior level for Norwich is, you know, almost fingers of one hand. Uh, I know Josh Martin got a little taste of it in the Premier League era, but still a very raw, inexperienced duo to put on down that left-hand side. But did it work? Did it ever? Um, and that is a testament to Daniel that he has. I mean, he keeps saying it. And, you know, if there's anybody who still doubts it, they shouldn't do. He will trust young players. Uh, if he feels they're good enough, they will get an opportunity. And uh, they won't be getting opportunities in dead rubbers, you know, in the heat of uh, what felt like a massive championship, as I'd putting my point is it felt at times like a playoff game almost the intensity and the swings of between we'll have an opportunity you'll have an opportunity that by no matter of means was an easy environment to throw those two in and Bali Mumba well I mean phenomenal I would, would don't think it's too strong a word because uh yes he's a key figure in in the goal but you know there was plenty of evidence before that the way he was just the confidence to take the ball, to drive it, whether it was Roberts or Corey Smith, who he backed into the box for the Steeperman goal. And, you know, then the, the trick, the step-overs, getting to the byline, cutting balls back in. Um, absolutely f- phenomenal, really, uh, for a man of 19 years of age with hardly any minutes at all in a Norwich shirt. Um, but anybody who watched or, or was there, privileged as we were, at Luton in the League Cup tie, he didn't look like that had phased him um, that day. And, and that was worth pointing out, on the right-hand side of a defence. So, you know, if, if he can do a job on the left-hand side, there's, of course there's going to be a clarion call now if Quintilla isn't fit, the other side of the international break, that people will want him in and Sorensen out. You know, Daniel will ultimately make that call. But I think it just underlined, again, the recruitment because you're referencing Sunderland and out on loan in non-league. I'm pretty sure he wasn't playing as a fullback in those teams. So Norwich have seen something in terms of Kieran. Scott, Stuart Webber and the rest of those recruitment people have possibly found a gem. I mean, you go and have a look on social media this morning. There are Sunderland fans ap- absolutely apoplectic that uh, <laughs> he's doing bits for Norwich and how on earth could they let him go? And we, we don't know the nuanced ins and outs of the transfer fee that was involved, but I think it's south of half a million. So plus there'll be the attendant add-ons. But what an unbelievable bit of business that could be with the caveat 
let's not get too carried away. Let's not do what we do in this country and build build people up and then knock them down. You know, he's basically come in and affected a game uh, in the championship in a 20, 25-minute cameo. He now has to kick on. But on the back of what we saw against Luton, um, on the back of what we saw with uh, the young man on the right-hand side in Max Aarons, you can see the similarities between those two. And for me, that's probably what they've identified in their recruitment, that they've seen a guy with the same attributes they identified in Max Aarons. Now it's for Farker to fashion that, mould that, um, and then give the guy the right opportunities at the right times this season. And we might be looking back in 12, 18 months and, and talking a that barley mumber in, in similarly glowing glowing sort of terms. It's uh, it's really positive to see, and it's another example of the Norwich way that whether they bring them through their own academy or whether they identify them and bring them in and then finish them as it were, that's the way it's got to be. And uh, he certainly looks like one who's capable of coming in and affecting this season for Norwich. Yeah, just immediately, it looked more like when Aaron's and Lewis were at their best in the Championship for Norwich, didn't it? You know, there was that balance in terms of you've got two attacking fullbacks, which is what Daniel really wants. And I think you can you can you can still see why he went with Sorensen because it's the safer option, isn't it? He he took few risks. He was uh, more solid defensively in, in what's been a you know a tough run of games, but immediately Mumba just came on and was raiding down the left, and that pins Swansea back. And to be fair, he showed he showed he's got skill. He's he looks like he's you know done his gym work as well. He looks like he's strong and he can handle himself. He had a shot deflected through to the keeper as well, didn't he? So a bit of a dream Carrero debut for him, really. Other other than getting the getting the actual goal himself. So uh, that was good. There was um, before he before he created the goal. Um, uh, there was a couple of incidents. Uh, Max Aaron's clipped uh, Jake Bidwell, uh, and then Crawl made that really good save from Ayu. I, I Personally, I thought Bidwell tried to make too much of the Aaron's um, incident, and that's probably why the referee waved it away. He just sort of turned it into a big swan dive, no pun intended, um, after what was a fairly um, small uh, bit of contact from Max. Although, poor touch from Max, to be fair. He shouldn't have been creating that situation in the first place. And then the, there was also um, the third save from from Jamal Lowe from Crawler ahead of the goal. Um, but it's, it's sort of because we've all been quite excited about Mumba, um, Connor, we should probably give praise to, to Emi Buendia for a classy touch ahead of it. And that's his third assist of the season. And of course, a good finish from Steedman. Yeah, and that's that's the quality he has, isn't it? Um, I think maybe we, we're all a bit guilty of taking it a little bit for granted sometimes, Emi Buendia's quality, um, from the Bristol City touch to obviously those those touches in a, in a really tight area as well. I think it was a, a couple of touches to get out of his feet and then the awareness to look up already being in the box to tee up Marco Stiefman. He's a, he's a fabulous footballer. He, he really is. I think he's, in my view, he's, he's the best player in the division um, in terms of the quality he has. I think obviously there are there are negatives to his game. There are areas that he needs to address and balance out. But in terms of technically and when he's on the ball, he's a, a, a real joy to watch. And of course, there's the there's the tempo and, and, and maybe he gets caught positionally and gets angry sometimes. I think that's maybe the standards he sets of himself and also those around him. But a, a really, really fabulous footballer who has the the quality to change games and to win games for Norwich City. And I think the, the big change from him, from what we saw last year, as as good as he was in, in patches, he's now getting himself in some really effective positions that actually he can improve his goal return and the amount of assists he's getting. And ultimately that will, if he if he views his, his future sort of at a higher level, that is what will take him there. Um, it's all very good sort of producing these, these creative statistics, but ultimately you need to back them up with with contributions yourself and um, 
again, I think what we, we will see more goals from him because of the positions he's getting himself into in and around the penalty area. And he's he he will become a more rounded player by doing that. And I, I think we are seeing him a bit more grown up in terms of the way he's operating off the ball. There are still moments where the arms fly up and whatnot, but um, he is, as I said, a, a really, really good footballer. Norwich need to ensure that they, they get the best out of him um, and, and essentially give him a, a free roll. We've seen him drop a little bit deeper to receive the ball, particularly at home when they're playing against sides who perhaps want to deploy the low block. But yeah, some really, really good touches again from him. And um, I think we will be in a position probably where he's at the top end again of the division in terms of goal contributions, assists, certainly. Um, and it's a, a real pleasure to watch him play at the moment. And if Norwich City can keep hold of him until the end of the season, then I think they, they're going to be at the right end of the division, providing they can keep him fit and happy and, and whatnot. And um, he's going to be absolutely crucial for, for their success this season. Again, as shown, how he can how he can not just score goals himself, but bring other people into it and ensure that Norwich get three points. And it's moments of quality like that, particularly in games behind closed doors, where you don't have the sort of tempo and intensity of the fans to feed off that you need. Individual quality at the moment is is key, um, particularly in games that are so tight like this. Um, and for all the talk of Bali Mumba's quality, it was a, a wonderful bit of awareness to tee up Marcus Stephen when perhaps other players would have shot at that that opportunity. So um, yeah, credit to Emi Buendia. I think he's he's slowly beginning to to improve, and um, that's only a good thing for Norwich City. <laughs> While you're talking um, there, and the key passes metric, which is one of the uh, you know essentially his chances created, isn't it? And that's what he did. Uh, what what he got a lot of attention for in the Premier League. It was only De Bruyne, Grealish, and Madison who averaged more than him per game in the Premier League last season, which was exceptional in itself, given that they finished bottom and, and had such a miserable season. He's already on four per game this season. That's the, the, the next closest in the Championship is three, and that's Gustavo Hamer of Coventry, had, who I honestly have never heard of until this moment. But <laughs> that, you know, that shows. Um, uh, that shows Emmy's quality and the impact that that he has. But just just finally on on the game pad, and and then we'll bring you a little bit of uh, audio from from Farker and Krull. Um, Steeperman first goal since the Blackburn game when they sealed promotion over sixteen months ago, and his his celebration to me looked one more of of relief than happiness just to get that sort of monkey off his back. And I only noticed it in the replay that, that Kenny McLean has a reasonably long word in his ear, doesn't he? Almost like he's sort of um, giving him a bit, a bit of a pep talk after it. Well, we know from their uh, <laughs> their Instagram interaction that they're almost uh, mothers, brothers from another mother, them two. So that, that wouldn't surprise me that he would be the first over there to give him a hug. But uh yeah, no, it's been a long road. I mean, we touched on this before the previous weekend's game, for the Bristol game. No, actually, it's totally, because he was very good at Bristol. He must have been uh, there between there and, and Millwall about how he's had this. I think you spoke to Timmy Puki after Bristol, didn't you, Dave? And, and he was talking about Matt, Marco's difficult 12 months or so, both in terms of having been so pivotal in the championship season, then it didn't work for him really. And then they brought him out and they brought in Andre Duda and they tried one or two others in that problem number 10 role. So the great adventure in the Premier League kind of stalled for Marco uh, to a degree, and that would have been frustrating. Then there was a whole episode towards the end of the season with the, the coronavirus test. Um, that would have been hugely unsettling for him. Then they bring in Kieran Dowell in the summer, clearly a player they'd identified for that position in the team. Um, but Kieran Dowell is injured until early in the new year, and, and Marco has got his opportunity. And 
on balance in his last three or four games, he's definitely taken it. You know, he's 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 beginning to produce. We're talking about Emi Buendi with assists and goals, and and that's what Marco needs to do in that role. Otherwise, what's he in the side for? You know, he needs to be affecting games in terms of the final third, and uh, that was a very good finish, better finish than maybe I thought in real time. You know, the way he guided it and the curve on the ball is taking it away from Woodburn. So Woodburn's never getting there. Possibly didn't quite mean to kiss it in off the inside of the post like a billiard shot. But nevertheless, it was a, a very composed finish. Um, I've had a little bit to and fro with a fan on Twitter this morning. I think I've been a bit overly generous in my player ratings to give him an eight. Uh, but this fan was about suggesting he should be given a five because apart from that, he didn't do anything else in the game. So... If all he did in the game was actually score the goal that wins the game uh, to get another two points when it was heading for a draw, I think five's a bit on the harsh side. So maybe we'll meet somewhere in between. Maybe a seven was a bit bit fairer, but I digress. Uh, ultimately, if he can maintain those levels, it's not only about Marco in that role, it's the relationship he has with Timu Puki. And if he can continue to both produce in his own right, but also service the GOAT, then... It's a win-win, um, and they were pivotal. There was a lot of facets about Norwich winning the title at this level two years ago. Chief among them, I think, was that chemistry between those two at the top end of the pitch. Um, week in, week out, they were literally finishing off a lot of the pleasing play that Norwich were able to produce behind those two. So, And again, you know, they found a way yesterday, but really, Bristol aside, these aren't comfortable wins for Norwich. You know, they're having to go very late. They're having to ride their luck a touch. Uh, and they're not really, this word efficiency, Daniel keeps talking about, they're not really being efficient in terms of the volume of shots that they are cr- producing. So they need to find the answer to that moving forward at the other side of the break. And I think one of the answers could be if Steepman and Pookie can renew the productivity they found two years ago with obviously then, you know, you get to the turn of the year, Dal would come back into the conversation. Um but it, it, I think it is very crucial moving forward that Marcus Stephen can maintain his levels. And the big concern for me is he was a fitness start going into Saturday's game. He's got this clearly this neck slash back problem. They're having to manage him. Um, he, he's he's doing certain exercises and, and probably not able to do the full amounts of training. That is a concern because if his body starts to break down, I don't think he's going to be anywhere near the effectiveness that he needs to be in that position. So that's an issue. But... Uh, there's no doubt at this level, maybe the Premier League's a step too far for him uh, in terms of his ability to affect games in the 10 role. I don't think we can dispute that at this level. That isn't the case. So uh, keep him fit and he can be a big player. OK, let's hear a bit from Daniel Farker and Tim Krull then. You got you got there in the end, but that, that felt like quite a big win for you. How do you assess that one? Two good sides. Yes, a big, big win for us and uh, many, many compliments uh, to my lads that were capable uh, to, to end this streak of seven games unbeaten also with a, with a massive win uh, for us. And uh, yeah, it was, a, of course, a top-class game against uh, two sides. We're sitting on position three and two or after the midday and then on four uh, against three in the table. And uh, yeah, then to return back to... <coughs> sorry. To return back to the dressing room with a with a win, with a clean sheet win, uh, feels another late goal. Feels, uh, of course, um, yeah, amazing, and I'm pretty delighted and uh, also happy with our performance today and uh, also with the hard fought, but uh, but in the end, I think also deserved win and uh, yeah, many compliments to the lads. They had a big chance obviously on the post today, and it's nice that a bit of luck goes uh, for us as well this year because last year obviously everything went in. Uh, there wasn't any luck like that, I don't think, and. 
yeah, it's so nice to walk walk off the pitch today with three points, clean sheet. And I mean, Grant Hanley, I have to mention him because his his blocks today were were immense. I mean, he, for him to to play seven games in a row like he has after such a long time out, uh, yeah, he showed the captain performance. I think. I was, uh, I was about to say about Grant's blocks. So, yeah. in terms of the game overall, there was some really good defending at both ends, actually. Yes. Do you think this was probably the, the best quality game we've seen so far? I think so. Yeah. I think so. I mean, um, they've got top, top class players as well. I mean, Ayu is dangerous. He can tuck in and he can he, yeah, he can bend the top corner anytime. So, um, I mean, yeah, like I said, Grant was amazing symbol to see him back after a while. And, and put in such a great passes diagonally, and, and we kept on pushing. And, and I'm pleased with it. It fell through. It fell because obviously nil nil on Tuesday would have been a bit disappointing not to to get a win this week. But yeah, to do it this week is amazing. And Daniel, that was quite brave to bring on Bali at that point, wasn't it? It yeah. almost sort of confounded them a little bit to, to, to sort of peg them back. But I think I think you were talking to Bali when you, you sort of shouted outstanding when things had calmed down a little bit. And, for him, he was playing for South Shields on loan earlier in this year, so that's, that's a heck of a step up, isn't it? Was he really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm excited about him. The moment he walked in, I've seen that he's a top, top talent. Um, but that just shows you that like these boys are showing it in training. So we're, we're not surprised to sh- see that in the today because they they are showing it every day and they're out and working hard behind the scenes. And especially him, who even though he hasn't been involved in the squads many times, he's in the gym yeah. uh, and for such a young age. I wasn't doing that one, and so to see that, you know, it's amazing because he, he's putting the hours in the gym, and and, and yeah, it's paying off. The international break, there's a there's a friendly as well with Holland, isn't there? So you hopefully you might get the uh, get that tenth cap. Obviously, that was a big moment for you last month, wasn't it's it? Only it's only Spain as well on Wednesday night, yeah. so it's uh, <laughs> no, it's exciting. Um, the number one is injured, I've just heard. So um, okay. yeah, hopefully. Yeah, Hopefully, I'm getting my minutes again. So I feel feel really good to walk in. Obviously, on the back of um, some really good results. So um, yeah, I de- definitely think I'm going to get some minutes here. From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com/channel/archant. So that's Tim potentially getting a bit of game time with Holland. Then he's, as he says there, Jasper Sillerson um, is injured, so he, you know, could be playing um, Spain on Wednesday night. They, um, uh, I think this is a bit ridiculous, Connor. I'll come to you on this, but some nations have squeezed in friendlies into this international break as well as two Nations League games, which seems absurd to me given that everything that's going on with coronavirus clearly not just in the uk you know there are lockdown situations in various different european nations aren't there but from a norwich point of view you know you've got Danal sanani with luxembourg on wednesday night cruel uh, with holland and Pookie potentially playing the world champions in france on wednesday i mean scotland and northern ireland's a little bit different because they're um playoff finals aren't they for the for the euros but this is going to be a real hectic break for for the norwich players involved isn't it and I, just, I, I suppose not many players are going to play three games. Certainly, you know, Pookie's not going to play all three games for Finland. Well, <laughs> you can imagine Daniel Farker's reaction if he does. But yeah, this is a, this is a slightly worrying two weeks, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. I mean, me, me and Pad spoke about this on on Friday night in our in our preview show. It's it's absolutely ludicrous, really, that, that we're talking about players jetting off to sort of all all destinations where. The virus is at different levels where we've seen all pretty much all major countries back in lockdown again. Um, and you're asking those players to go and, and, and risk their safety to 
to go and play in an international friendly that um, fans maybe wouldn't necessarily be bothered about if they could attend, let alone if they can't. So uh, it, it for me is is preposterous. It's it's clearly um, a money making exercise. I don't think it it reflects well on football. All it does do is um, puts these players into risk, and it, it does feel like these games are being put before the safety and, and well-being of the players, regardless of coronavirus, which of course is, is obviously a massive issue. But fitness-wise as well, this is already a really condensed schedule. A really, uh, a, I mean, the championship's relentless anyway, but it's been sort of condensed. Uh, there are more midweek games. Um, the, the fixtures are closer together. The players get less recovery time. And then you're asking them to go and play three more games in the space of a fortnight. It's, it's really difficult to um to to digest and accept i think not not just for for daniel fuck i'm sure for other coaches elsewhere and and it does um reflect badly on on the game and and it does um concern me slightly about the direction we're heading in this season where we're perhaps looking at, at friendlies taking precedent in in the current situation i think the the target has to be for these domestic leagues to be finished and, and to make sure we're not in a situation we were last season and um it, it just feels like we, it's going to take either a player becoming seriously ill, getting a major injury, maybe even worse than that, before we reflect and, and say maybe these international games aren't right at the moment, um, particularly with, with the travel. Obviously, there's there's this um, report today that the England-Iceland game might be in doubt because of obviously the new strain of coronavirus they found in Denmark and the travel corridors between those those countries. So it just feels too much of a risk at the moment. You're asking players to take themselves out of bubbles they have with their teams and go and mix with several other bubbles in a different country where the virus could be an inflated or deflated rate, whatever, um, to to go and play an international friendly. It doesn't look, um, it doesn't look right. It isn't right. Um, And for me, there there needs to be some serious questions asked, I think, by football to the governing bodies, to the people that matter about the way we approach this going forward. Because as we saw with Adam Eder and, and that whole situation in, in the last break, Cristiano Ronaldo as well, didn't he contract a coronavirus while on, on international duty? This is clearly a risk that doesn't need to be taken for games that aren't important. The Scotland, the Northern Ireland playoff games, fair enough, they impact a major competition down the line. I think that, that makes sense, but not international friendlies or nation league, Nations League games that don't have a, a particular impact and there isn't really an appetite for. I think that's it's it's dangerous and, and and pretty reckless to be fair um and yeah i think there needs to be a frank discussion sort of post this international break about the direction they they decide to go in with it yeah well there's when they come back norwich have still got 11 games through until the turn of the year 11 games in the six weeks that follow the international break so if you're a regular for club and country like pookie with, within four months you could have played 30 games I mean, that is just too much. The, the intensity that football players pl- are asked to play nowadays um, and how sort of far their bodies are pushed, that just is not sensible, let alone the fact that, you know, we're going to get to the European Championship potentially next season, uh, the next summer, as long as it actually goes ahead. Who knows, uh, uh, as we sit here today, all the international players, by the time they actually reach the finals, could be absolutely knackered. You know, Pookie particularly could be really on his last legs by the time he reaches what should be the sort of pinnacle of his career but strange times but I mean in summary I just want to I'll finish on the on the finances if we can just before we close the pod but um just in summary really pad this this first few months of the season 
I think Norwich fans can can be pleased when when we put all this context that that we've been discussing here, particularly with you know the demand that's on the players and stuff that. What Fark has managed to get out of them, all right, it's not been smooth sailing. It's not been as um, nice on the eye as they might have liked. But to sit where they are, 21 points from 11 games in third place, every Norwich fan would have absolutely snatched the ha- snapped the hand off that would have offered that at the start of the season, wouldn't they? All day long, all day long, yeah. And, and particularly when he framed it as he's right to do, you know, the... The statistics on clubs who go down coming straight back, well, they don't inspire confidence. You know, I think he said in his time in England, it's only Fulham and that was last season and they had to go to extra time in the playoff final uh, at Wembley uh, to get a better at Brentford. So, historically, the trend is that this isn't going to happen this season. Now, of course, you know, stats are there to be rewritten uh, and trends are there to be upturned and uh, they can do no more really at the moment. But, Steve Cooper was asked about this after the game yesterday. Swansea, with a win yesterday, would have gone top. With a defeat, they ended up, and results elsewhere, finishing down in sixth place going into the break. And that shows you how concertina the top of the table is now. You know, eight or nine clubs separated by three, four points. Um, And he said he feels it's going to be that tight for weeks and weeks. And you reference this congested period, the other side of the break. What Norwich have basically done is given them a really solid platform to kick on. And, that is the key now. They need to basically retain a lot of the pleasing elements, the, the defensive solidity in the main. Four clean, four clean sheets and 11, excellent. And and that you feel with more understanding between the, those players, you know, um, particularly the, if they can get the left-hand side of that defence sorted out in, in terms of uh, moving forward, then that should only improve. You know, the centre of the park, you're starting to see now the rock skip access particularly, but also Kenny McLean will be in the conversation now, I'm sure. And and uh, that looks like it's only going to get better. And, and then at the top of the pitch, that's probably the key now. You know, everything, as you rightly say, that they have to deal with on and off the pitch uh, was going to be quite a challenge. They seem to have ridden out certainly the transfer window distractions because that's now closed. It is what it is now until January when it will start again, sadly. But, they navigated that very well, it would it would appear so far. And and also then the squad turnover and the whole hangover from Premier League relegation, which was a very painful and very bumpy landing, the nature of the way they exited the league. All of those imponderables, they look to have navigated a path through. Um, but then now, particularly at the top end of the pitch, they there's still work to be done there. But you, you must, if you're a Norwich fan, be far more confident now than before a ball was kicked at Huddersfield on the opening day that for all of that off the pitch and the challenges that will continue and you reference the accounts and with no revenue for supporters, probably for the majority of this season, if if not all of the season, that is going to be a massive impact on Norwich's room for manoeuvre, certainly in the next January window and moving forward as a club. Because unfortunately, um, despite the, the finances being overall very healthy and, and showing that maybe the way they've gone about it in the Premier League and not splurging hugely in the transfer market may now come back to be a huge positive for them moving forward. But, you know, still the financial situation with no supporters and no supporter revenue is really going to impact on where Norwich go from here uh, as a club. But on the pitch, certainly they look to be in a reasonably healthy state. And you have to be, if you're a Norwich fan, surely hugely a, encouraged by what they've done so far, but also now optimistic, I think, which might not have been the case 
across the board before a ball was kicked because you've got the whole um, negativity that is associated with a club who comes down. Uh, you're losing players in the transfer window. You're getting speculation on an hourly basis around some of your other better players. I don't think going into that first game at Huddersfield, there would have been huge levels of optimism. That surely must be different now. And that's only going to rise if Norwich can take what they've done in the first 11 games and try and replicate it. And, and if they do that, then we get to the turn of the year and, and Norwich are banging the race. And then you hope down the stretch what they did two years ago with the core of those same players is really going to maybe allow them to put some water between them. And as I say, if you look at the top of the table now, it's a wafer, wafer thin uh, between a lot of clubs, but you would think it would start to thin out as we get round the turn of the year. And I don't think it's any surprise to me. You take Reading out of the equation, who are now three games. I think they've lost the last three. The next three clubs are Norwich or Watford in order. Watford, Norwich, Bournemouth, the three relegated Premier League clubs. And I'd imagine they will not be going anywhere as we move through the season. So it does underline the maybe the financial advantages, despite talking about the challenges that Norwich face, but there is financial advantages with the huge amounts of parachute money. And that looks like already now, as this league starts to take shape, that's going to allow the three relegated clubs to be very, very difficult to shift from the, the conversation for the top two. Yeah, I think Reading have dropped like a like a stone through the division now. I think they almost stumbled their way into that position early in the season. But um, yeah, in the last 10 years, I, I remember because I did this just before the start of the season, didn't I? It's only two clubs have managed to bounce back to the Premier League through automatic promotion and another five have managed to do it through the playoffs, one of which, of course, was, was Norwich in 2015. Um, I think we'll all we'll all still be that little bit cautious because, of course, they, they were top of the league under Neil Adams and, and Alex Neil in, in 2014 and 16. We all, we all know that, um, you know, nothing is achieved at this stage of the season. Norwich fans know that as, as well as anyone, any club, don't they? But um, it is a nice segue in that, as you say, Pad, Watford, Norwich, Bournemouth now ominously second, third and fourth just behind Reading as it stands. And you just wonder whether that strength and depth that they have in their squads during what we've been discussing about the amount of strain which is on players physically this year, whether that strength and depth is going to allow them to outperform clubs over, over the course of the season. And you could it's not beyond the realms at all that those three end up being the top three. And to flow into the finances, Connor, we, you know, we've again seen just the huge, huge impact that getting promoted to the Premier League has on a club's finances, haven't we? And, and and part of the project big picture stuff, one of the things that people sort of seemed a bit keen on was, you know, doing away with parachute payments and just spreading that money throughout the championship instead so that it, it doesn't create this sort of imbalance. But personally, I, I kind of think that horse has already bolted and it's, it's kind of difficult to already or to go backwards on that one. But what was your sort of take on, on the finances? You know, a, a two million profit in general, I think this year's finances, it's probably best for, you know, once you've listened, finished listening to the pod, of course, to check out the our YouTube channel. Um, I, I did a bit of analysis, but we also interviewed Ben Kensel and the finance director, Anthony Richens. So that'll give you a bit sort of deeper, deeper context. But um, in terms of they've managed to make that profit. It's almost beyond Norwich City this year, isn't it? The finances weren't just about Norwich City. It showed where they sit in the world of football. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the fact that given everything that's gone in, gone on in, in the world and obviously the money they've lost has still emerged from with, with profit is, is a testament to those really. And you're right, it is now going to be about how long this sort of drop in revenue 
um, goes on for and whether or not they can sustain it. And I guess the only real way they can sustain it without money coming into the club through supporters is probably through the parachute payments that you spoke about um, and then through player sales. And that is why when we talk about Bali Mumba, we talk about the young players. This is why they have to t- uh, adopt this route and why they have to have a head coach who believes in young players because if not, then the model they're trying to um, sort of set up falls apart completely and, and parachute payments again are, are a massive part of that and I think from Norwich's perspective they would certainly be arguing that they need to remain intact but I can certainly see the wider argument for why they need to be spread through the division but given the current financial climate yeah I think it's it's really they're in a really positive position the fact that it hasn't they're not in the position that some clubs are where it's been three months and you know they're on the verge of going out of business I think the the case for Norwich is they, they do run themselves very efficiently. Um, it's just going to be about how long this goes on for. And um, and then it's going to be about getting themselves out of it when, when they do, which they, which they have done before. They've gotten themselves, uh, I think, of the season that James Madison left where they had a financial hole and, and they still managed to to fill that, obviously, through player sales. There are other ways as well, as, as Ben Kensel has said, of, of filling those holes. So um, they're, they're in a, a, a decent position with assets as well on and off the pitch. So... I think Norwich fans can feel proud of the way their club is being run at the moment. They might not always agree with it and it might not always sort of yield success or the success or, or levels of success that people want to see on the pitch. But um, they will still, whenever fans are allowed back into Carrow Road, they will turn up knowing they have a football club to go back and support, which hopefully will be the case for everyone in the FL, but it might not be. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 a positive um, and it's it just shows the work that goes in sort of off the pitch um the likes of ben kensel and 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 his team who who have to maintain that side of things and also the work they're doing in the sport department as well to um get the fees they have for ben godfrey jamal lewis etc that that keeps the model ticking over so um a, a positive position a position to build upon which i'm i'm sure they will do once they navigate this this very tricky period for for all businesses and and for all football clubs and Hopefully they can get themselves to a position where the success on and off the pitch is um, is married up and, and, and supporters feel content across the board with where they are. But like I said, a lot of pride to be taken, I think, from, from those accounts and maybe a bit of a reality check as well in terms of um, the current state of play in, in, in football finances, considering how others, apart, how others around them are sort of falling apart. But yet they are still sort of the, the constant, aren't they? And, and it, it's a real... Um, it's a real advocate for their for their model, I think, and, and how successful it, it can be providing you, um, you you do it right. They haven't gone and sort of splurged their parachute payments on on players or done what Huddersfield did and had a takeover and, and lent against their owner, essentially, and, and now don't necessarily have the finances that maybe they would have. So um, they've done it in the right way. With or without parachute payments, they will continue to do that. So um, balance the books accordingly. It's, it's it's really good to see a football club um, do it a little bit differently. Again, rightly or wrongly, how some people see it, but um, a, a strong position from them to, to build on, and hopefully uh, another promotion can can help them build um, on on those finances even further. Oh, certainly, if they can get promoted, if they can bounce back, then they're going to be in a really strong position. And you know, if it is a massive, massive if Stuart Webber does end up leaving Norwich at the end of the twenty one twenty two season with Premier League survival secured, then he will very much have lived up to his hope of leaving the club in a far stronger position than when he first arrived. Um, and, and as far as the sort of ownership model and, and of being a self-sustainable club, you're never going to get 
tens of thousands of supporters to to agree on one way of doing that. But I think most sensible people would appreciate that in the situation that they're in, to run it sensibly like this, why, like this, given all the turmoil that we've seen at so many other clubs, it's certainly a wise way to be moving through a, a difficult time in football. So that'll do. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, boys. Um, uh, there's plenty going on this week um, throughout with all the internationals. We'll keep you up to date with all of that at pinkin.com. The under-21s, as well, it's the under-23 squad, but it's actually an under-21s uh, team in the EFL trophy. The Papa John's Pizza Trophy, as it's now called, bizarrely. Um, they play their group decider at Cheltenham on Tuesday night. Uh, we'll keep you up to date with what's happened in that one. Um, that basically decides who finishes top and who will be seeded for the first knockout draw uh, because uh, they're both already uh, both already through. They've both already won their opening two games of the group stages. So um, it's not going to be a quiet couple of weeks. So keep it locked on pinkin.com. But for now, thank you very much to, for listening to this week's show and we'll catch up with you very soon.